0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and welcome to Just Something About Her from The Recount and iHeartRadio. On this podcast, I talk to powerful women about how they made it to the top on their own terms. Here to help me introduce our next guest is my producer, Sari Soffer.
1: I'm really excited for this guest today. Um, We have on the show Norma Kamali, who is a fashion designer of her eponymous line. She's a wellness expert, too. Wait till you hear her quarantine workout routine. It's insane. Um, And she's also an author of the book I Am Invincible, which is sort of her guide to embracing aging as a woman.
0: And, you know, I love that. But before we get into all that, which is what I really want to talk about the most, I do want to mention how relevant I think this interview is in the pandemic, because Norma Kamali's sweatshirt material line in the 80s is what popularized athleisure before it was athleisure so I can't wait to ask her what she thinks of it becoming not only mainstream but the only thing we're wearing these days and what she thinks fashion will look like once we all start re-socializing in society hopefully super soon I know
1: I can't decide if I'm going to be the type of person that's so excited to dress up again or if I won't be able to even fit my jeans on my body because they feel so awkward
0: I don't think I'm going to be excited. No? I don't think I'm going to be excited to dress up again. I I don't don't No, I don't.
1: I was getting a lot of pandemic fatigue while Mm -hmm. I was doing research for her because her like rise to fame was during the glamorous romantic 60s and 70s in New York City, like Studio 54 time, downtown fashion shows. It really made me miss the hustle and bustle of New York City and also just appreciate like how incredible she was at that time. I mean, during that era, there were no women in fashion. And especially her being an American woman was unheard of because high fashion specifically was such a European thing.
0: Totally. And I know she has a lot of stories about being the only woman in the room for many years. Well, I definitely ask her about that.
1: Mm -hmm. It's always struck me kind of how insane it is that even in fashion, women's fashion, it's still an industry where men have most of the power. Mm -hmm. I saw this stat from Norma's alma mater, the Fashion Institute of Technology, that like 86% of the graduating class was women. But then there was also this study done in 2015 of 50 major global fashion brands that found that only 14% were run by a woman executive. I feel like I've seen similar statistics for that in like the entertainment industry and stuff like that. But fashion just seems extra shocking to hear the gender disparity because it is a women centric industry.
0: Right. Even something that is made for women has that same embedded problem. Mm -hmm.
1: But yeah, so Norma Kamali has been around forever. I actually called my grandmother to tell her that we were uh, recording with her because I know that she had some Norma Kamali pieces. And obviously, I still see her stuff in stores today. So it's just really crazy how many generations she's stayed relevant.
0: My mom told me about how her mom, so my grandmother, not Mm -hmm. just your, even my, even as old as I am, worked at Bullock's department store and, you know, used to wear and sell Norma Kamali in California way back in the day. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's pretty crazy how long she's lasted. Yeah.
0: And the fashion and beauty industry is particularly problematic in creating expectations that women should do everything they can to stay young forever. So it's Mm -hmm. refreshing that Norma is the biggest proponent of embracing her age at 75. She and I are both adamant that the best years of our life come after 50. So I'm super excited to talk to her about how she keeps the fun going 25 years later, what she's learned from each decade and how we can shed ourselves from this assumption that our best years are behind us. So, let's get to it. Can you feel me? Norm McMahonley, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's fantastic to see you. You look amazing. Thank you. I want to talk a lot in this conversation about age, because I'm just so inspired by what you've written about in your book, I Am Invincible About Age. And I want to start with a quote that you wrote about, uh, reaching 50 is the new beginning. Hey, friggin' men. <laughs> um, <the> be- <laughs> it is. So, I is Reaching 50 is the beginning, the beginning of this time in your life when you are so free on so many levels. I wrote a book called She Proclaims Our Declaration of Independence from a Man's World. And, you know, that's a big part of that concept is if you embrace and proclaim your age, like really embrace it, what you're saying is I am declaring my independence from these norms that say women have an expiration date on them. And I find that just even the act of doing that, even though you're not going to change all of society, but just the act of doing that, it sets you apart people look at you a little differently. They're like, wow, she's playing by a different set of rules.
2: Yeah. There are two big birthday milestones. 30 is one where you get the first sort of punch in the stomach about being an adult and the karma that comes with it. And then how you get through that is very much the way you get to 50. And then 50 is so critical in so many ways. And the most important thing, and you said it, it's like shedding your skin, like your old life of nurturing other people, caring about everything for everybody, and sweating the small stuff about everything. All of that just lets go. And the way you look at 50 now sets the tone for going forward. And It is really important to determine at that point that you are not going to allow yourself to become invisible. And I didn't say invincible because that's what we want to be. Invincible is great, invisible is not good. And so at 50, you have the chance to no longer give a shit about anything that's ridiculous. You don't care, but it's frightening because. Changing your identity in a way is really, you have to be fearless about it. And you have to take the chance to try things that you never tried before. And to love yourself, not in a narcissistic way, but really doing things for you. And the biggest thing you can do for you is reinvent yourself and find that thing you're going to do.
0: You've said that aging is the last thing that is okay to bash or say something derogatory about, that that's like sort of still accepted. Was there a moment where you experienced that firsthand?
2: You know, I haven't really personally paid attention to any of that. And I just, I counter back very quickly because my industry and the beauty industry are the biggest offenders of the aging process and allowing Mm -hmm. that to be something wonderful and that you respect and you look forward to. And so I'm always having to look at it through that lens. And I really feel the idea of anti-aging, anti-wrinkle, all of those words send such horrible messages. And in my book, I, I write that when I Was 19, my mother wished me a happy birthday and said, It's all downhill from here. And I started crying and I thought, I don't want to get old like she is. And then I'm surrounded by young people all the time. And you know what? Everybody at 20 feels like, Oh, now I'm going to get old. Now it's going to start happening. And people think about age a lot at, at a very early age. And the real question is, Why would somebody that's 75 or somebody that's going to be 50 want to be 25 again? Like, why the hell would you want that? Those years done, finished, move on. And why would you want to go through 30 again or through 40 again? You finish it and it prepares you for the next decade. You have to go through that transition. You have to go through that. Period of time to get you to the next place. So there is no reason for anybody to be looking back to redo something you already did well or did not so great, but you're done. I'm over. I'm moving on. So looking forward is really positively the best way to do it. And my trick is that I look at the long game. So I read and I've spoken to some people in the aging world that at 120, all your cells turn over for the last time. And I thought, okay, then that's it.
0: 120.
2: I want to live to 120. And so obviously, there may be some genetic interference in that. We're not going to deal with that. But the idea of thinking in the long game gives me the opportunity to plan ahead, to think about things I want to do going forward and not looking back at the past. And so that's the way I do it. And I try to live my life so that I'm healthy and I can do it. But I think looking forward has to be for any age.
0: And I also read the Vanity Fair did a piece about your book. It said that when you turned 50, you threw out all of your costume jewelry and took this new minimalist approach in your appearance, which I found so liberating because I had that same sense when I turned 50. Like I just wanted to shed all of these things. And I even dressed differently too. But walk us through that process for you from what happened for you at 50.
2: So for me, In my 40s, I made a lot of money. And after years of like, am I going to pay the rent kind of life, right? And so I made a lot of money and I bought a beautiful home just off Fifth Avenue across from the museum. It was one of these buildings that I'd looked at as a little girl when I would go to the museum from the east side, you know, by the river and walk over and like, oh my God, who lived here? And here I am actually buying it. It was part of the Woolworth estate, restoring mm-hmm. it, filling it with a beautiful, eclectic mix of antiques and furniture that I produced. And I restored the marble and the cherry wood library and the music room. And I can't even begin to tell you about the marble staircase and the whole thing. <laughs> and so there I am sitting sketching my new collection and I'm looking around the library and I'm thinking oh my god this is so beautiful every detail spectacular and I'm thinking to myself I got to get rid of this stuff I can't think a new thought with this I'm going to keep thinking the same old stuff if I stay here these possessions are owning me and so at that moment I made the decision to get rid of everything, not my costume jewelry, everything, all the furniture, the place, Oh! I had an auction, everything. And every sample I designed from the day I started, I had in the warehouse and I got rid of that too.
0: From your entire career? Everything.
2: I'm talking everything.
0: And what did that feel like when you threw it all away? Was it
2: scary? Amazing. Amazing. At first, I looked at it all and I thought, what are you doing? I mean, how are you feeling about this? And then I just turned that switch in my head and I said, done. And to this day, which is 25 years later, I'm now 75. I absolutely live the same kind of life, very minimal. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything that doesn't have a purpose. And the freedom for me, this is just for me, it's not other people's yeah. things. The freedom for me is that it's kept me open and creative and looking forward.
0: And I imagine that when you threw out everything that you had designed, that you had kept, you know, maybe, maybe when you were 30, that would terrify you that you were no longer had your body of work, but now you have the confidence that what matters is what's in your brain and giving yourself the literal space for your brain to do that work.
2: Yeah. And then I know I can do more. I don't have to hold on to it for dear life. Like, oh, my God, I can't let this idea go. Well, really, of course you can. Just think of a new idea.
0: I think people worry a lot about running out of ideas or running out of thoughts or letting go of what worked for them in the past
2: that was the reason I got rid of it. That was exactly it. And, you know, we all know that walking away from things, Mm -hmm. a relationship, a job, some toxic situations is so hard and you feel comfortable in them, but they're not good for you. And so those decisions are the most important, but also The hardest. I mean, for me, my first marriage of ten my only marriage. Sorry, first marriage. My only marriage of ten years. I got married at nineteen. Two children. We're in business together. He's a little frightened about the power I was getting. And believe me, I never said two words until I was about thirty five. And I was so quiet and timid and I didn't threaten anybody, but He felt obviously intimidated, and so he did crazy things like, you know, date the sales girl, control the money. I had $98 when I left, and believe me, it wasn't a plan. It was just when the sales girl told me that she was going to be the designer from now on, I thought, I'm either going to, like, kill her or (laughs) I better leave. (laughs) So... (laughs)
0: As we were talking, Sari, the producer, was texting me and she's like, Ask her how how it felt turning 30. You know, Sari's in her late 20s. So okay. I was just like, Selfishly, I need to know. But I do want to explain to people is that you got married at 19, started your career at a very young age. It sounds like your then husband had an affair with a sales girl. Is that what you're saying?
2: Many affairs with many okay, sales okay, girls. Okay. It's not a, <laughs> but, we can't pinpoint one. And it, okay. like, and it And you know what? It was a blessing, Jennifer, because. Sure. What if it wasn't horrible and I'd still be there in this really not great situation right. and not mm-hmm. having an identity and being mm-hmm. sort of kept down? I mean, I look back at all of these things and I think, thank God for her. Do you think I have a bad thought for this woman at all? No. Right. right Thank you. Right. right Thank you. Right. You you Thank pushed you. me out. You pushed me so out the
0: door. What happened when you turned thirty? Because this is all around the same time, right? The, your divorce and I know it had a big impact on your business. So like explain all of that.
2: Thirty, just to talk a little bit about thirty. So your twenties are obviously When you're vulnerable, you're an adult in everything you do, you're doing as an adult for the first time. And it's your first job experience, your first friendships that help sort of figure out who you are through your friends, too. Your first dating, real dating, your first sexual experiences that are more than an accident. They're kind of those things that you discover what pain can be when you. Objectify yourself to get some guy to love you, you know, these crazy things that we all stupidly do. I always think of bridesmaids when John Hamm and Christian Wake are in bed. Did you see bridesmaids? Yes. That visual, I was looking at and I thought, oh, wow, I think I did that. And then I thought, I bet every woman I know. Unfortunately, we did not have John Hamm as the, you know, the other party. It wasn't always done, yeah. but, but I did do a thing, and so many of us in the search for love allow ourselves to be objectified, some stupid concept in our heads. Well, all of that happens in your 20s, and that's when you're dating, and the idea of, well, by the time you're 30 in your 30s, you now are settling down. Well, no. There's a lot of people crying, and a lot of women crying, thinking... Life is passing me by. I don't have my soulmate. What am I going to do? Well, you know mm-hmm. what? Lucky you because you have a lot to do for you before you find the person that's supposed to be attracted to you that you deserve. Like you got to you got to figure that out. It doesn't have to be at 30. This is not the time for everybody to do everything at the same time. And a lot of girls Will find somebody because it's the deadline. Okay, it's the deadline. I'm going to be 30. I better get somebody right away. Okay, I'm getting married. I have the biggest ring out of everybody. I'm going to have the biggest wedding and I'm more loved than everybody else. And you know what? I definitely think that that's more frightening than putting in some effort for self love and taking care of yourself so that you attract people you deserve. And very often we need to work on that because. I don't know about you, but I attracted a lot of dregs because I wasn't thinking a lot about myself. I have a list of cuckoo birds that I was like, "Why am I attracting this horribleness?" And it was me, not them. They disappeared as soon as I started getting my act together. So thirties, big, 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 and then the transition for me was a frightening experience because, like I said, I never spoke to anybody. I never told anybody I had a problem, and he was the public face of Kamali, because that was the name of the company, and I was in the sample room sewing away, and nobody really knew me, but people knew that the clothes were coming from somewhere, but they didn't know me. And then an editor from the LA Times kept trying to reach me, trying to get in touch with me, and she set up a lunch date. And I never had lunch with anybody at all. And it was the day after I left.
0: You left your husband.
2: Yeah. And I didn't know how to Mm -hmm. get in touch with her. So I ended up showing up and my face is swollen from crying. I'm, you know, devastated because I don't know what to do. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say to her. And she said, well, what happened to you? And I just started crying and it poured out of me. And I realized her response was, okay, I'm going to get you a sewing machine, and then we're going to figure out how else. And I thought, oh, my God, she's going to help me. Oh, my God. And then I realized I have to know how to tell people when I need help, ask for it and figure out how to do that. And that was the biggest lesson in that transition into finally opening my own business, and then everything opened up for me. But walking away in that situation was very hard. So whether it's my story or somebody else's, the pain and the angst and the transition of it is so important for everyone.
0: That is such an important lesson it's time to take a break but after a few commercials i want to get back to this topic of aging because i have a theory as to why i think so many women in their 50s are making such a big difference in america right now we'll be right back to just something about her with fashion designer norma kamali welcome back to just something about her with fashion designer and author norma kamali So I have a theory that because I see women, a lot of women over 50, really just making a big difference in America right now. You know, our vice president is a woman over 50. As one example, I feel like now I have sort of all of the equipment that I need to really excel. And I don't worry about the things, as you said, that you, that people worry about before. And I wonder if part of it, I mean, you've had your career for 53 years. I wonder if part of it is, for me, I think that I spent a lot of time figuring out how to operate in a man's world and like where I fit in not necessarily conscious that I was doing that I feel like now that I have it figured out I'm really ready to go I feel like I have a longer shelf life partly because I've spent most of my career adapting so I'm like ready to go whereas maybe men might feel that they hit full strength 10 years earlier than I did
2: you're absolutely Thinking in the right way. You know, Jennifer, when I started, not only when I started on my own, but when I started, you know, I, I graduated from FIT. I went on my first job in the fashion industry. And I remember going in with my portfolio, and this guy's got his feet up on his desk and he's eating a tuna sandwich. I can still smell the sandwich. That's how annoying this story is. And so, he says to me, young lady, put down your portfolio and turn around for me. I heard my mother's voice saying, you better get this job because you have to help pay the rent. You better get this job. So I turned around. I was so humiliated, and embarrassed. I ran out crying. I got home and I told my mother I didn't get the job. And I decided to get a job at the airlines. Now, this is mad men time. I'm in this world that is, it's undescribable today. It's undescribable. And then when I started to go out on my own and was trying to figure it out, I had zero female role models.
0: Such a big deal. So important to have role models.
2: Yeah. When I went out on my own, finally, I got some press and opened my business. I was getting hundreds of letters a week, literally handwritten letters. Thank you for doing this. I want to leave. I'm unhappy. I want to do what you're doing. I I didn't even realize that I was doing anything for other people. And I didn't know where to go to get advice. I had nowhere to go. And I only had men to ask advice. And I've always, even, believe it or not, till today, till this week, when I met with a construction worker who's going to help me redo some of the things in the building, he was giving me instructions on how now you have to make some lists for what you want in each area and tell me step at a time. And I had to finally say to him, I'm 75. I've made more lists and started making lists before you were born. So stop. Just stop. Basta. Stop. And it's like, finally, you just say, are you kidding me? Stop it. It's just sort of this thing that from the 60s through that madman time, that still is this genetic thread of not only is she a female, but she's a designer. What could she know? She's a designer. So it's like, come on. And all those years, I had to deal with some crazy, crazy stuff. And no men running my company. I own my own company. I have no partners. I never have. Don't ask me. I'm not even a great business person, but I think I may be. And here I am. I had a negotiation, a really steamy one, where people were not living up to a contractual agreement that was definitely a big no-no in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And I was the only female at the table and I was defending myself. And there was one guy who was really pushing, really pushing. And it ended up, everything came out in my favor. Everybody's walking out of the room and I was talking to someone and I was going out last and this guy decides to stay behind me, he pats me on the butt and he says, good job. And so of course I want to scream like I've had to do many times. I don't want to blow what I just did. So I would not scream. I would not even acknowledge that he did it. And that's not even a big deal one. I'm not saying it's a big deal, but it's the kind of thing that so many women especially women in business during years when there were very few in the garment industry, fashion industry, for sure, and elsewhere. So you think about women that we know in politics or in all of these other areas where you're in a man's world. I mean, think of Nancy Pelosi. Think of what she's had to go through. I mean... Through years of what? Yeah. If I had these conversations, think about her conversations. Think about women you know that are a bit ahead of you in their experience and age. So yeah. the beauty of it is that post-50, like you say.
0: Yeah. Now. And you've also taken those experiences with you. I mean, I feel like because I've had to work hard to fit into a man's world, yeah. I have a 360 view that they yeah. may not. And that gives me an advantage. You know, we talk about women being adaptable. Nancy Pelosi's 80, maybe 81 at I this know, point.
2: I know, I know, I know. And she keeps getting savvier. Right.
0: You know, talk about a survivor and like a good politician. She's always evolving. She's never stuck in her ways about how she approaches an issue or even leading her, the Democratic caucus. You know, that is like something to behold.
2: Yeah, and I do believe that you will have the same as the years go by. You will feel it even more powerfully as I do. And all I want to say to you and everybody else is just take care of yourself. Take care of your body because that will take care of your mind. You need to be strong. You need to be fierce and strong physically, mentally, emotionally. And then the best years of your life seriously are ahead of you. And that's not just saying it, I promise you that is true. I would just like to say that at 65, I met my soulmate. Oh, my God. This
0: is the greatest story. Tell us the story of getting engaged at 65.
2: (laughs) I didn't get engaged at 65, but Ian Schrager introduced his longtime friend, introduced me to someone he hated every guy I ever went out with. And so he never introduced me to anybody. So I never thought that the last person in the world, right? And he said, I have someone for you. And I thought it was a business thing. I said, okay. And then I realized, not right away, because we never would have met on our own, which is another thing to think about. We have this vision of who we think is right for us. You gotta, like, let go of that because I would have missed him completely and he would have missed me completely. If we were at a party or something, we never would have spoken to each other. It just wouldn't have happened. And luckily we had the chance to talk and we realized how deeply connected we are and how lucky we are to meet each other, whatever age we are. And so We met at 65 and we never talked about marriage. For what? I mean, because we're going to have kids, what what are we going to talk about? So during COVID, we spent a lot of time together. He travels a lot and I'm working a lot, but here we were in lockdown and it was so great. It was just very romantic and we were being productive with our work and spending time together. And so on my birthday, he proposed with a little note by the side of the bed, which I thought was like, really, do we want to get married? And then I thought, how cool would that be? Maybe we should. So we are hoping COVID will lift a little bit so we can be with friends and do it outdoors, maybe, maybe in the end of the summer. Fingers crossed. What are you going to wear? I don't know, but I don't care. I don't care. I probably won't be wearing shoes. (laughs) That's what I can guarantee. I'll be dancing and I won't be wearing shoes.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Something else that you've written that really struck both Sari and I, trying to be young totally overwhelms the power of life experience. And we really discount that. Age gives you such confidence, especially after 50, when you don't have hormones taking over your life. I feel so good about my age and about flaunting it. Uh, the more we talk about our age, the more we free ourselves to re-identify beauty. When you're healthy, you look beautiful. That doesn't mean you don't have lines on your face. And I, yeah, I totally embrace lines on my face. But I think this is really important, you know, and it's what goes to what you're saying before. It doesn't have to happen at 50, right? It can happen beforehand. But trying to be young totally overwhelms the power of life experience. That has been, we're not going to accept that that's true for women now. We're going to say that has been true for women That is not true for men. Mm -hmm. I mean, ageism exists for men, too, but not in the same way, right? There's Ralph Lauren, there's Karl Lagerfeld, you know, Calvin Klein. But did you see a difference in how the men in the industry were treated as they aged than you? Or other women? Because I feel like you seem to be a special case that you decided relatively early on you weren't buying into that bullshit.
2: It's hard not to have that mindset because everything, all media, Everybody we look at is trying to look younger, then it's not Yeah. It's not about beauty. And it
0: also you know what it tells people? It says to the world, I think my best years are behind me.
2: Or I don't feel good about myself, which is when you yeah. draw all the dregs of society to you. And this is not only love interests. It's people that take advantage. They can see vulnerability. You know, there's the vulnerability of the 20 to 30-year-old that very often get taken advantage of. That vulnerability is different from the vulnerability of somebody your age or my age or 40, where you see a problem. There's an insecurity about the person the spirit of that person. And that's why I keep talking about self-love because you don't need to do as much if you're feeling good in here. And health is such a big factor in this and eating properly, making the right decisions, exercising so you can feel strong in your body so you feel good. When you see progress you've made, you know, it takes effort, but there's something about that effort and what it does to your head. When you see, Mm -hmm. oh my God, look at my boobs are standing up a little bit. Oh, my hips are looking, or my legs are firmer. I feel strong in my body. And these weights are helping my bones. So I'm going to be able to get through 50 plus with strong bones. If you look at it that way, Right. It's back to self-love. You're doing stuff for you. And that's putting it all towards the benefit of being strong and healthy, 50 plus. There is no choice. You have to do it. You have to work out every day. You have to eat properly and sleep. You have a
0: very regimented healthy routine during the pandemic, I understand. And has it changed during the pandemic, your routine? And, And are there things you want to take with you after? from when it ends, which will be in 10 minutes from now. I
2: hope it's 10 minutes. I hope you're right. First of all, I keep my routine. However, normally I never sit and Zoom butt has entered my life and I am (laughs) crazed. And so now I work out twice as much, but I figured out a way to make it sort of like I can multitask, I can work out. So I do an hour and a half workout and then I put on a Netflix something that I would not just sit and watch and do nothing else. And I Mm -hmm. work out and do some sort of like Pilates type classic things. And that's how I get that extra hour and a half in. So is it three hours a day that you're working out? Well, I break it up. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it, I do actually meditation. If you're not meditating, you should be meditating. I'm not that's your birthday gift you have to give yourself seriously
0: all right it's time for another quick break when we're back it's time to talk fashion with designer Norma Kamali on just something about
2: her Welcome back to
0: Just Something About Her with fashion designer and author Norma Kamali. Um, can I actually come up with fashion questions? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you're known for the sleeping bag coat and you you designed the the Farrah Fawcett red swimsuit. What are you most proud of having created?
2: You know, for a long time early in the years of being a designer, I Questioned whether I made the right choice of career, that people were, you know, finding a cure to cancer. And I'm worried about a hemlock, you know, come on, this doesn't feel good. And then I started to listen to women telling me that they got a job in something they were wearing my mind because they felt good in it, or things like that, that were just like, wow, that's very interesting. And then I realized that. There was a value to what I was doing, and I could actually make people feel good and possibly help them on their invincible days. We want lots of those. And then I realized that clothes that are timeless are the best things to make. And I feel my most successful pieces are pieces that people can have forever, And the sleeping bag coat Mm -hmm. obviously is one of those because people have that coat for 30 years and more. And it doesn't go out of style because it's not really fashion. It's a commodity. I've made the coat every year since 1973. And it had its first big kind of oomph during Studio 54 when the doorman wore the coats and people thought if they bought it, they'd get in. But of course had nothing to do with. It. I just like maybe, <laughs> I don't know, you could try. <laughs> you should definitely try. I think try. And then 9/11 was another time when people were stuck in the city and sleeping in lobbies and friends' houses and I, we sold a ton of coats and I didn't even think I would open for a while and there we were making coats in this muggy September that I remember well. And now COVID Because we support our restaurants, especially in New York, we are so dedicated to our restaurants and in all of our neighborhoods, we're eating outside. It's freezing, freaking freezing cold, and we're out there shaking. (laughs) But people are buying sleeping bag coat, and I, I marked them down dramatically this year so that more people could support and because it really does keep you warm outside. And so it's clothes like that. But I also, I think the idea of timeless fashion doesn't mean it's boring, doesn't mean it's something that is sort of classic in a dead way. It can be a fun piece that just seems to take you year after year and fits in with your wardrobe and as you get older you understand your style better and you said I remember the beginning of this you said even the way you dress there's a Mm -hmm. difference in it and that comes from this sense of you know this is who I am now this is what I'm doing I found this really wonderful kundalini yoga instructor, 55, gorgeous, Mm -hmm. long, silver hair, really spectacular. And she modeled my collection. And I styled it on her very different than I do for the 24 to 44 group. Same clothes, just put on in a different way. And she looks so amazing. And the reason I'm going to be doing that more is I did one of these talks with a group of people, my age group, and somebody asked me a question. They said, so what do you do not to be invisible? And I listed a few things. And then I said, and, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there because I saw everybody was a little too grandma, grandpa-y looking. (laughs) And I, and I said, I think maybe just dress differently, just dress differently. And I see all these notes go up. Don't listen to her. And she's there. No, no, no. And I thought, oh, I think they think like mini skirt and go-go boots or something. And so I thought I really need to show that beautiful clothes are beautiful clothes, and a 25-year-old can wear something one way, and a 55-year-old can wear it another way, and I can wear it. So I showed a 25-year-old, a 55-year-old, and a 75-year-old all wearing the same clothes, but just in a different way, and it proves that if you feel good in your body, you want to feel good in your clothes, too.
0: One last question that it's particularly interesting to get your take on, because fashion has a way of mimicking life. And you can, you know, see how women's liberation is reflected in that, you know, we used to wear corsets, and now women are proclaiming leggings and sweats for daily wear. What's been the most telling moment of progress for you in women's fashion?
2: There have been a few, but one of the things that I actually had a part of in 1980, I launched a collection of sweats. And I started out making swimwear cover-ups. I used to love to swim a lot, a lot. Like I would climb over New York City pools and swim at night and get caught occasionally by the police. I do have a little bit of a record. And That's amazing. <laughs> and so I would wear my brother's sweatshirts because Girls never wore sweatshirts. It was something college stores had and boys' stores, men's and boys' stores have. So I decided to get some gray fleece and make swimwear cover-ups. And then I thought, oh, this looks good. Maybe I'll make a pair of pants. Maybe I'll make a top. Maybe I'll make a jacket. Maybe I'll make a gown. Maybe I'll make, you know, a coat. And I did this incredible collection of gray Sweatshirt fabric, and it was the first time there was sweatshirting for day wear to wear to work.
0: It like became a big thing. I remember this moment, you know, by the time you get to like 1984, 85, that's like the ripped sweatshirt. It It, it started that with-
2: Everything. You're
0: embracing sweatshirts. So, yeah.
2: and the beauty again, timeless, because today, here we are, Even if it wasn't COVID, there would still be sportswear like that on the street. And now the amount of sweatpants that have been sold through COVID has gone off the roof. And we, too, as a company, obviously always have that as a part of what we do as a brand. So I feel that just giving women the ability to relax. And when I was going to FIT, we were wearing garter belts, girdles, cone bras. Thank you very much. And stockings. I was there. I'm 75. I was there. And then I remember not wearing any underwear through the 70s at all. I don't think I had a pair of panties or bras through that whole decade. But where we are now actually is, is really quite good. So, I think comfort, easy care, just making the world comfortable. And the other thing to think about post-COVID is, I don't know about you, but I haven't had shoes on for a long time. And what you (laughs) might call shoes like slides or sneakers is the alternative that I've had on. So I look at all my gorgeous shoes in the closet. And I'm saying, like, girls, I don't know if I'm even going to put you on again. I think you're great. But seriously, my feet feel just really good. And I don't want to mess with that.
0: Right? Yeah. I've adopted wearing, like, sneakers and sweatshirts. Nice sweatshirts. Nice sweatshirts. Well ahead of COVID. That was already my work uniforms. Maybe a sweater. Um, Yeah. So high-heeled shoes. I don't. Yeah. Yeah
2: think about the evolution of that. And if you're not wearing high heels, I guess to weddings, maybe, I don't know. I'm trying to think of when I do that, what are we going to wear? How are shoes going to evolve and how are clothes and shoes going to evolve together? Which is a constant question that I ask myself when I'm doing the collection.
0: Yeah. This has been so phenomenal. i personally feel like I got so much out of this conversation I really thank you so great
2: thank you so much I appreciate it
1: Sarah are you there how great was she what a character oh
0: my god she's such a force in nature it's amazing I know and she's this petite little woman. There's just so much power and confidence and energy packed into that frame. She's just like a dynamo. Yeah. I'm always interested to hear your reaction first. So what were your big takeaways?
1: Well, one thing that I was thinking about and wanted to kind of clarify or even just talk about is mm-hmm. Norma had this great advice that you should really work on yourself, practice self-love and do things to keep making yourself a better person and a healthier person saying that that's a way that you will then attract better people into your life. And I think that's so true and an awesome thing to practice. But I think we have to be careful because a lot of that can get conflated with the idea of like making ourselves a better person so that we can find a man, you know, that the premise is that if we become our better selves, then we will attract a man. Right, And I think that there's nothing wrong with like pursuing love and working to make yourself happy so that you can access love and attract the right type of people. But it's sometimes like hard to disentangle those two ideas because women are often told by the beauty industry, by the fashion industry to contort themselves, to be more desirable to men. And that's not at all what will make you feel good about yourself and not at all what we want the goal to be
0: you know, what you're talking about, it's sort of like inviting good things into your life. And she says, you just have to keep moving forward. You just have to keep moving forward. And, you know, I felt that in some ways, this whole thing felt like a big pep talk for me. (laughs) Because she's like, you know, I, I promise you, if you keep moving forward, you're inviting good people into your life, you're inviting good things to happen, like your best work will be ahead of you was my sort of takeaway. And I thought it was... Also really helpful to hear about her process when she turned 50 of just shedding, not just things, you know, I think a lot of times we think about, we need to shed the things that hold us back. She shed the things that she was sort of most proud of, right? She shed her trophies, if you will, you know, her jewelry, the things um, that she had created that she was most proud of. She shed all of that, Mm -hmm. you know, partly to keep her mind fresh, but also I, I think if we hold on to things from the past two Tightly, that can restrict our own creativity, and I found that a very interesting, sort of pioneering and really helpful concept for me in my own work.
1: Yeah, it was like a physical representation of living in the past, essentially.
0: Right. You know, you want to feel grounded and, and mm-hmm. all of that, and some things from the past can come for you, but if you surround yourself with everything from the past, you may just end up repeating what you've right. done before and not pushing yourself to some new place. That's really useful advice for, you yeah, for everybody.
1: And I selfishly was really excited to hear her talk about why 30s is a big pivot
2: point.
0: <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about that too, mm-hmm. is that 30s set the stage for 50s, that definitely re- resonates with me because I felt like in the 30s, which was in the 90s for me, so I felt like I was sort of starting to realize power, but then wasn't quite prepared to actualize it. Mm-hmm. And in your 50s, you are. So that just really resonated.
1: Yeah, and it was inspirational for me too, because I feel like she was right. You know, your 20s are kind of where you're being experimental, you're maybe not feeling so stable. And then your 30s is where you kind of have your feet on the ground more and you have to just be really intentional about, like, you know, who you surround yourself with, what projects you're doing, things like that to set the stage for success in your later decades, which is a great way to move into each decade i think
0: yeah i mean it's a great this is a great pep talk for women of <laughs> no matter what decade you are oh. in norma Kamali is here to push you forward yes this is just something about her a podcast from the recount and iHeartRadio. radio thank you to norma Kamali for being on the show if you like this episode please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the apple podcast app i'm your host jennifer palmieri alia jackson and d scott Farrell engineered this podcast Jessica Williams handles research. Stephanie Stender is our post-producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Christian Castro-Russell is our executive producer.